Let's go. Let's go. Oh, oh did you want to? Sorry. sorry. I'll let you. I'll let you. Next time. I'm in love with you. Snap out of it. I'll have what she's having. Too many guys think they're a concept or I complete them or I'm going to make them alive. I'm just a fucked up girl who's looking for my own peace of mind. Don't assign me yours. Caustic wit is my religion. I would make a great queen because I am so stubborn. I say when it comes to stardom and Lauren, there are no accidents. Hi, Karen Peterson. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 123 of Citizen Dame, the podcast where we talk about all the things that are good in the world and never anything bad because nothing bad happens. It's a utopia. I'm Karen Peterson, joined as always by my amazing co-host Lauren Humphreys Brooks. <laughs> Just dying with laughter back here. That's all that we're doing. <laughs> and we have a very special guest today, Jazz Tenge. Hi. Thank Hi. you for having me. We're so excited to have you back, Jazz. You're the best. Why don't you remind folks who you are and what you do? I'm Jazz Tankay, and I'm artisan's editor for Variety, and that meow was William saying hello. He decided to join the podcast. <laughs> oh, and he's so cute. I've got a cat along. <laughs> nice. Well, I have a small, it's bring your pet to work today, day, I guess. Um, I have a small dog here sitting next to me sleeping. So, sorry, Lauren. I just want a dog. <laughs> I know. This can be your plea to New York City, to all of New York City right now. Give Lauren I'll, a dog. Oh, I, I am responsible. I've got a nice apartment. I'm close to Prospect Park. Uh, I work from home, which means that I could take care of a dog like this dog will get sick of me. You know, I'll be around <laughs> so much. Just give me a dog. Yep. Hashtag, <laughs> hashtag give Lauren a dog. Exactly. <laughs> and also Lauren was working from home before quarantine and she'll still be working from home after quarantine. So she's not going to turn the dog in later when she has to go back to the office because she's not. Exactly. So there you go. Exactly. Exactly. And I go to visit my parents upstate where there's like a lot of green grass and everything. The dog will get to go with me there too. Like, come on. Come on. It's perfect. It you is. are the perfect dog owner to be. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. Well, we have some fun stuff to talk about today. And some ways that it can be not fun, too. Um, this episode, we're talking about nostalgia. And um, I think this is a fun topic, personally. So let's just jump right in, because there's... I'm not talking about garbage people this week. Do you want to talk about garbage people this week? I don't. No. No. Nah. So let's just yeah. skip over... Is there anything even... Well, I'm sure there always is. But, yeah, so, nostalgia... Let's let's define what what do we mean when we talk about nostalgia, Lauren? Let's start with you. Oh, well, I mean, I I think that it's the way that we in, in terms of cinema, right? In terms of yes. film or media or whatever, mm -hmm. I think that it's the way that you know we look back on particular periods in history, particularly periods in our own personal history, where you know we're just reminded of of good things that happened, right? And so. I, I mean, I, I think about some of the films that I saw when I was a kid that weren't necessarily contemporary with me. Like one of my favorite Disney films is Lady and the Tramp. And for whatever reason, it was just something that 
I was attracted to as a small child and I loved watching it and I would like, I could do all the voices and everything like that. So I just remember that kind of sort of hazy, warm feeling, you know, of, of being nostalgic for something. And that's kind of the good side of nostalgia. The, the bad side of it is that you can really get mired in it and it becomes like you're constantly trying to recapture something that was, was good when it happened, but, was also never really as good as you think it was because, you know, so I might remember those nice times of watching these movies or something like that. But then if you look forward a little bit, you look at Lady in the Tramp, you're like, oh, there's some problematic things in that movie. There's some things that maybe, you know, we don't want to valorize. And that doesn't make the movie bad or evil or anything like that. But it's, it's definitely not as bright and shiny maybe as, as I thought it was when I was five years old, because of course it's not. Cause I'm, I'm 33 now and we should really, I should have grown up from the time that I was five. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. I was talking to my brother last night and uh, his son is about to be 15 years old, which we don't understand how that happened. Cause he was born in 2005, which was only five years ago. Um, but, uh, but, um, he was, my brother was saying it's funny because, uh, Matthew, my nephew, he's at this age where, um, he's willing to, and he likes films. So surprise, surprise at 15 years old, he's, he actually enjoys watching older movies that came out before, like he was born crazy. No. Oh, I know. <laughs> and so my brother was saying, like, it's been really fun to show him stuff that we used to love when we were kids and seeing how he reacts to it. But then he's like, the downside of that is sometimes I'm like, why did I like this movie? <laughs> <laughs> so, Jess, what about you? What are your thoughts about nostalgia and kind of what it is and what it what it does? I think I tend, to, yeah, I mean, obviously I agree with Lauren. It's like, you know, what do you remember? Like, you know, people always you know we always talk about like films from our past and it's like you know I have such fond memories of going to the cinema and seeing Sleeping Beauty on the big screen for the first time and then when Disney Plus launched it was one of the first films or cartoons that I saw um and it was like yeah it just brought back good memories and then you know like last night Jen wanted to watch Network and I think, what is that, 1976? Yeah. And it was, well, we hadn't seen it probably in like six years. So it's just the whole, like, actually, you know what, that film stood the test of time. And then, you know, you watch something like, I don't know, oh gosh, I'm trying to think of something that I've seen that was like, how did we even... How could you laugh at that? I think it's more with TV shows. Like you're like, what got a, what we got away with in the 80s was just like now you're just like cringing. Um, yeah, so I think it that's the great thing about quarantine is, and Karen, we've discussed this so many times of like people saying there's nothing to watch, and it's like, yes, there's so much to watch, and like how far back does that nostalgia go, right? Like, do you go back to Jurassic Park? Do you go back to like Kramer versus Kramer? Like, or do you go back to like, I don't know, Wizard of Oz? Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think it's, it's obviously it's very different for everybody because what, what really hits with us and, and what, 
what stayed with us from childhood or, or, you know, just whenever it is in the past. It's different for everybody. And for me, it's like some movies I'm nostalgic for are ones that my brother and I used to watch on repeat when we were kids, like Star Wars. I, honestly, it's impossible for me to know how many times I've seen that. Um, Raiders of the Lost Ark. We had Superman 2, but not Superman. So we I've seen Superman 2 a million times and the first Superman like maybe twice. You know, it's just kind of funny the way those things go. But then also some of it too is like, like what you were, you guys were mentioning, for me, some of it is the remembering the experience of going to the theater. Like, I remember in 1986, they re-released E.T., and my dad took us to it, and he's telling us this story about how when it first came out in 1982, he and my mom had gone with some friends, and they came out of the theater. I'm nine years old when he's telling me this story. And they came out of the theater... And, and I had seen E.T. before, but I didn't re really remember it. And um, they were like, oh, it's so sad when E.T. dies. And some people in line got really upset. And he's telling me this story. And I just look at him and I said, E.T. dies? <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, haven't you seen this movie? And I was just like, I don't remember that he died. <laughs> and my dad's like, just watch the movie. I'm like, I don't want to now. <laughs> and so it's like, oh, I, I, that's the thing I remember most about E.T. I love that movie, but that's the thing I remember most is this story my dad telling and me thinking that he ruined the movie for me. You know, it's like those fun, just like fun experiences of going with my parents. We used to go to the drive-in all the time. Um, I practically grew up there because there wasn't a regular theater near our house. The closest place to go was the drive-in and it was fun because we getting our jammies you know and um we had a station wagon and so my brother and I would be in the back and we'd watch the first movie and then we'd conk out while my parents watched the second one and it was just it's so much fun and so I think back on some of the movies that I saw and it's really just the whole experience of seeing them that makes them something that really stayed with me all these years even more than the movies themselves and then they kind of take on this life of their own which can be good and and bad so well I, I think that that's part of it you you feel like a certain affinity with particular films because they because of the like you're saying the experience of seeing them for whatever reason right it was just that kind of an experience and so it's not necessarily the film itself it's it's the, the experience and then there are other films that like kind of introduce you to something i think mm -hmm. that as as anyone who writes about film and anyone who talks about film that like you remember those particular films that kind of gave you a new perspective that made you go like, wow, that's something that can happen. Right. And it really, it, it was really exciting and really intriguing and fascinating. Um, one of my good friends talks about like, he, he's a big horror buff. And of course he's seen, he's seen way more horror films than I have now. Like he, he talks about films. I'm like, I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, but he, he talks about seeing The Exorcist for the first time, and he was, he was and even he says, just like, I was way too young to see The Exorcist. But The Exorcist then has been, like, this major feature, basically, of his life because of when he saw it and seeing it with his dad um, and all of that. And so, so much of, of that kind of love for cinema, I think, does come from those memories that are sometimes about the film and that are sometimes about our experience of the film. 
Um, it's interesting. I just want to go back to what Jazz said about television shows because yeah. my my roommate and I have been watching um, rewatching The Simpsons on uh, on Disney Plus because you can watch the entire series. <laughs> and since and, there's no more Baby Yoda show right now, what else are you gonna do? I know exactly. <laughs> but so so we've been watching it pretty much from we skipped season one because season one is really dodgy. But so we started with season two and um, and of course these are going back to you know the early nineties, right? The late eighties, early nineties. And and it's interesting, like, there are a lot of jokes about Bill Cosby. Mm. And, of course, both of us were sitting there going, like, oh, you kind of forget what a huge influence Bill Cosby was and the Cosby show was. Yeah. But, of course, every time they, like, make a joke about Bill Cosby, like, ooh, oh, no. And then the the other day, uh, it was, there was one episode um, that there was a joke about Donald Trump. And, and it was... It was like, uh, you know, name one person who has ever become famous for doing yo-yo tricks. And Homer and Homer goes, Donald Trump? And, and this is like, you know, 91, 92 or something like that. So my roommate and I are dying, right? We think this is hilarious. But, of course, it's a, it has a different kind of experience watching it now than watching it when, you know, and we both grew up when we were kids, they, they showed reruns of The Simpsons on Fox all the time. So I did not see The Simpsons in 1991, but I definitely saw them in 1995 and in 2000. Um, but then you, you also look at it and there, there's a lot of stuff that's very dated and that's very questionable and that you kind of have to, you have to ignore certain things. You're like, oh, that was, that was okay to say on television even in the 1990s, and it's not so okay right now. And, and you, you even get things like, you know, Hank Azaria doing the voice of Apu, who is such a great character and such an entertaining character, and Azaria does a great job, but there's that discomfort that's inherent in that because we're suddenly looking back and it's like, oh, yeah, this was never really okay, was it? Lauren, you rarely make me feel my age, but just now when you talked about when you talked about watching the Simpsons reruns when you were a kid and I'm sitting here going I remember when they were a short on Tracy Ullman show before they oh were even a God. series. Well see see that's that's the thing isn't it because like so much of my of my childhood I realized while rewatching these things I was just like I definitely did not see these when they first came out because yeah. I would have been like you know three or four or five years old so my you know it just wouldn't have been something I would watch yeah but I saw I've seen so many of them as reruns multiple times right mm-hmm. and but yeah that's, that's <laughs> but then see that that's the other thing then we're beginning to get into the shows that I remember actually seeing them when they came out uh on Fox like the the um uh, the episode where Bart is uh, in Australia, where Bart like gets the prime minister of Australia wants to kick him in the butt or something like that, <laughs> and things like that. And I remember that actually happening in real time. So, yeah. I, remember I remember how big a deal it was when they got Michael Jackson to come on. Yeah, and that's the one that's not on Disney Plus. Like that's the only episode I think that isn't that didn't make the cut. Like, um, yeah. Uh, I remember the first The Simpsons the first time they ran in the UK. Really? Now, I feel old this morning. Um. <laughs> oh man, yeah. But it's it's interesting to to revisit things and see how the world has changed. Like you say, you know that Donald Trump joke. I remember, you know, 
a couple years ago when it was recirculating about how he was in Home Alone 2, you know? And So what are some of the bad things about nostalgia? Well, I I think, as I, as I said earlier, I think we become mired in it. Um, we, because there, there is that tendency to, like I said, to look back on those moments of your, and it's particularly your childhood or your adolescence, right, where you feel things really strongly and there's there's just a particular experience being young, right? And, and those things that you get attached to, you can get overly attached to them. And you can, and I think that there are a lot of people that refuse to see the problems of the films that they loved, right? Or that that refused to see that maybe you know this wasn't quite as advanced as we as we thought it was. It, it was like the the other day I watched Clueless with uh, some friends on on um, on Netflix, and and we were like, oh, this this was a lot of fun, and we remembered seeing Clueless and like how much fun it was and everything. And then you begin to think about some of the gender politics and the sexual politics. You're like, there's some issues in this movie actually. Uh, maybe we shouldn't be encouraging necessarily, you know, this whole thing about a 16 year old girl falling in love with her stepbrother who is in college and like, you know, all of us, and there's an ickiness to it. And, and that doesn't diminish the enjoyability of the film or the importance of the film, but it does uh, now that we're older and maybe a little bit more like, well, maybe this isn't such a good thing. Right. Uh, well, and that's and, the kind of thing, sorry to jump in, but that's the kind of thing, too, where you know somebody now is going to write a think piece because it's been 25 years, which is weird, but um, but they're going to be like, oh, we've just discovered that Clueless is problematic because at 16 she falls in love with her stepbrothers. <laughs> like, you think we didn't talk about that in 1995? <laughs> we didn't talk about how freaking weird that was? Of course we did! <laughs> I think the internet, too, has just made it, like, I think Clayton, was it yesterday or Thursday, he posted, like, what are your favorite courtroom dramas? And obviously he took A Few Good Men. Mm -hmm. And I haven't seen it. I haven't read the book in such a long time. But Disclosure came to mind. And I was going to post that. And I thought, you haven't seen it. It's just we're in such a different time right now and <laughs> given the internet trolls you're probably going to get cancelled if you post <laughs> that because people don't get it and i'm like yeah. okay and i think that's you know another problem with nostalgia is like okay i remember that film when it came out i mean i don't know what it would be like watching it in 20 20 given where we are in the world and everything that's happened especially with the me too movement Mm -hmm. but the internet also will affect your nostalgia for a movie i think yeah it can set up camps i think Mm -hmm. where it's like you know people who just become this movie is the bible for me and then other people are like no you're stupid you know and it just causes fights and it's like, let me just like what I want to like. It's okay. Well, yeah, it it, turn, it turns into black and white. It turns into, yeah. you know, it's either it's either perfect or it's not, or it's terrible. Or it's you terrible know? and how dare you like it, yeah. There's yeah. there's nothing in between. I mean, I, I remember even at one point saying, oh, I really love Rosemary's Baby. And it was in a discussion about horror films. And almost immediately I had someone be like, well, I like movies that aren't made by pedophiles. And I was like, I wasn't <laughs> talking about the person who made it at all. I was talking 
about the fucking movie. Like that's that's all that I was trying to say. I was I'm not going to get into an argument about Roman Polanski. You know, <laughs> this isn't a thing that I'm going to do right now. And and yeah, that's that's one of the problems. It's either it's either perfect or it's terrible. It's either apocalypse or Nirvana kind of thing. Yeah. Um, it turns political. Like mm-hmm. you can't like. Can we like Annie Hall, which I still think today is a great movie. Take everything out of that. Like, can I like Manhattan? Can I not like Rosemary's Baby and say that I'm watching this without being like, uh, I think you have a problem because you like Woody, you know, you like films made by Woody Allen and Roman Polanski. And it's like, Mm -hmm. but they're still good films. I'm not talking about, yeah, the film. Yeah. There was one day, um, a couple weeks ago, we were recording an episode of another podcast I do, and we were kind of catching up on what we've been watching lately, and one of the guys, he's like, uh, I don't really want to talk about what I've been watching. And I was like, why? What have you been watching? Porn? <laughs> and he's like, I was watching Annie Hall, okay? And I was like, why were you trying to not... He's like, I just didn't want you to be mad at me. I'm like, why would I be mad at you for watching Annie Hall? It's okay, you're allowed. <laughs> and Well... Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think I think that the problem really is that then it becomes like either we have to be either we have to completely dismiss these films or we have to be um uh you know or we have to defend them. Right. And and it's just like no, I can't defend so I can't defend Roman Polanski, right? I can't. I can defend Rosemary's Baby because I think that that is a great film and mm-hmm. that there and that it is an important film in a lot of ways and we can talk about it, right? But there is that that binary, right? It's either this or it's that. There's nothing in between. There's nothing. And I, I do think that that's where we begin to get into these issues with older films. And we t- we talked about this when we were talking about Gone with the Wind. Mm-hmm. Um, that we it's it's sort of like either either it is the most perfect film ever made or it is the worst film ever made, and we're going to completely destroy any recognition of it right and really what we need is somewhere in the middle we need to say like okay here are the things that it does well here are the things that are problematic about it and here are the ways that we can understand it based upon its historical context and there are some films that you can do that with and some films that you can't but we have to you have to always take that much more nuanced approach whereas right now the, the tendency is more like it's either one or the other if you say you like it if you say you dislike it then you know the, the other the other side is when you say like oh I dislike what this film does oh well you have now ruined my childhood it's like no, I can't I can't ruin your childhood dude it's always dudes too it's always like how yeah. dare you ruin my childhood it's like <laughs> I can't actually ruin your childhood man you you love this film and that's fine yeah I can also say that I have issues with it well and and one of the things that I was actually thinking about when we were kind of talking about this topic I was thinking about exactly that and I was remembering the response when uh, they announced the 2016 Ghostbusters and a bunch of dudes were like this movie's ruining my childhood it's like but your childhood already happened and nothing changes it so I don't know how that works but they were so angry and they're still angry about the fact that that movie exists but then all of a sudden what happens we get a new trailer for this new this new one that's supposed to come out 2020 I don't know 21 22 someday and maybe it'll never happen but uh but this new movie and people are like a, the same dudes who are so angry about the 2016 film because it had vaginas in it 
um, are just salivating over this one. And it's, it's really interesting to watch that. And they insist that sexism has nothing to do with it, but obviously it does. And we've talked a little bit about that movie in particular, the upcoming one by Jason Reitman and how, like, you can just tell from the trailer that they're, they're trying to, um, build sort of this myth around the 1984 film and Mm -hmm. it's really interesting to watch those reactions and I know there have been other films like that too where a uh whether it's a reboot or a new sequel or whatever and just watching the people that get excited about it the people that don't and the tribalism that forms because of these movies it's I I think that what what we're seeing with Ghostbusters is the it's it's the reinforcement of a worldview basically. So and that that's what a lot of um, the objections to the 2016 Ghostbusters was was that and I mean I remember because I I played with those boys when they were little boys and there was always this attitude like no girls can't be Ghostbusters because there are no girl Ghostbusters right. And so it was this kind of insularity of saying, like, no, 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 this is my thing and I'm going to keep my thing. And what the new trailer, at least, is is depicting is that, well, it's still your thing, right? We're, you're, you can have it. You can keep it. You can hang on to it. You don't have to worry about women taking it away from you, even if we're going to include a little girl in the scenario. Um, we're going to be certain that that thing that you loved is, is preserved in amber and that we're never going to threaten it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that that's, that's part of what's going on, um, uh, with all that. Yeah. I always find it very funny when, when men are like, I'm not sexist. I just really hated that movie. It's like, well, I hate to say it, but, <laughs> but disliking a film is one thing. Okay, fine. Whatever. You know, that's, that's a personal reaction. If you violently hate a movie for existing, for existing, <laughs> I'm just like I don't. I think that this has something to do with something else that is not just like <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of interesting that the films that you hate the most are the ones that feature women. <laughs> kind of like how suddenly Captain Marvel ended up being a terrible movie after Brie Larson made her comments, but yeah. you know, yeah, it's like. If she hadn't said things that you didn't like, would you have loved the movie or no? Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. Didn't it have like a hundred thousand like dislike? I dislike this post on her YouTube. I'm like, wow, that really took a lot of energy for you to seek out her YouTube and just let her know that you hate. It's so true. It's yeah. so true. Yeah. But it's, it's funny because I think about just going back to the Ghostbusters thing, but I think about the movie's, that we used to watch, and I was, I'm very much a child of the 80s, and so every mm-hmm. major movie that came out in the 80s, I've seen a million times, and it's just interesting because pretty much almost all of them are about men or mm-hmm. boys, and, you know, like, I love The Goonies. I love, you know, <laughs> I love all these movies, um, and so many of them, they're about the boys, and it's okay. I got through it and I love, I still love those movies and I was able to identify with them. So boys can figure it out. My nephew likes the 2016 Ghostbusters better than the 1984, by the way. Interesting. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have to say, and I say this to someone who loves the 1984 Ghostbusters. 
I, I like the the 2016 one better too. And in fact, it made me, it made me feel better. A lot of, a lot of the things that there are problematic things in the original Ghostbusters. There oh, just yeah. are. Right. And I don't think that that destroys my enjoyment of it in any sense, but it is something that I recognize and that I kind of have to decide whether or not I'm going to ignore it or if I'm going to think about it or, you know, it, and some of it depends upon how I relate to the film in a particular moment. Um, but I actually do think that the 2016 Ghostbusters advances Ghostbusters mm-hmm. as as a thing. It actually is like, okay, here are the here are the, the problematic issues that uh, that were in the original. Without erasing the original at all, here's mm-hmm. a way that we can address some of those problems by casting women, by by constructing, you know, essentially MRAs as the villains, etc. And so they're actually addressing some of the problems that are in the original film without in any way canceling out the original film. And I, I actually think it's one of those films that, that manages to walk that line really well, that isn't attempting in any way to, to reboot the original. Um, is just sort of being like, okay, well, here's that's the way it was approached, and now we're going to do something slightly different and deal with some of the issues that uh, that the original one had. And and so to me, those two films coexist really, really well. And I don't have any problem watching the 1984 film being like, oh, I really love this, and then watching the 2016 film going, oh, I really love this too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's one of the things that makes Paul Feig such a great director versus other people who attempt to do reboots and it doesn't work so well. I'm thinking of movies like um, uh, the Total Recall remake, stuff like that. It's mm. like they they don't they don't make it different enough. It's like they're they're trying to recapture the things that made that first movie popular without trying to do anything really substantially different and that's a problem mm-hmm. so yeah. but then as far as nostalgia too i think of movies like ready player one that a bunch of people loved and i didn't and one of the reasons i didn't is because i think that steven spielberg wasn't the person that should have directed that you know um because he was so insistent on not using stuff from his movies some of it snuck in there but he didn't want to use stuff from his movies and it's like you can't make a film that's all about nostalgia without using the things that the people that are watching it are going to be most nostalgic for, which is like everything you did in 1976 <laughs> to 1989, you know? Yeah. And so it's interesting. But then you see some directors that really do know how to do it well. Like I think Lord and Miller, what they did with Lego Movie was genius. And how they were able to capture the things that we're nostalgic for. And the way that, you know, kids used, the way that I used to play with those toys and stuff when I was little and blending worlds together. It's fun to see, to see it when it's done well. Yeah, they definitely understood nostalgia. And I think that's why everybody, like, it was such a huge hit. Mm-hmm. For adult, with adults and, like, with critics for that reason. It was like, they get it. They, they really played into the nostalgia of, you know, playing with Lego and, and you know, yeah. letting your imagination run wild. Yeah. So let's talk about one thing that um, 
<laughs> I think we're all a little nostalgic for in some ways. Um, video stores. And Lauren, I'm so glad you added this to the list of things to talk about today because it was like as soon as as soon as I saw it there, I was like, yes, duh, why didn't we talk about that? Um, video stores and the video store experience. Um, for myself, we had Video City in my little hometown before Blockbuster in Hollywood came in. <laughs> And it was, it was really fun to get to see what they had. I remember when my brother and I decided we wanted to watch Close Encounters of the third, wait, <laughs> the third kind. Close Encounters of the Third Kind, yeah. <laughs> I was like, what's the full title of that movie? I always just call it Close Encounters. It was Close Encounters, you know that movie. Yeah. <laughs> but I remember walking up to the counter, I was like 10, and I asked the guy, like, do you have the first two? <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, what? <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. But um but yeah, video stores. Jazz, talk a little bit about your video store experience. Um, okay, so we didn't have Blockbuster for a really long time. Like I can't remember when. I guess I was I would have been in my teens by the time we got it. So we had local video stores and I was a member of so I, I grew up in South London in an area called Tooting and there's Tooting High Street and um, my friend's dad actually owned one um, and he had uh, like one that specialized in like Bollywood movies and then one that did like all the what yeah like you know British and American movies and he uh, so I was a member of that one and then there was another one owned by um, a, a guy called Alberto and. I would always get, I was getting random films like American Ninja, American Samurai, Nightmare on Elm Street, Terminator 2, um, and or like even the first one, and I was way underage. He didn't, so we had like PG, which is parental guidance. Then we had 15, so you had to be 15, obviously, and then 18, and he would be like, I can't give this to you. Get your mum and she can give you the movie. I said, put it aside. I'd run home because we didn't have cell phones and be like, mum, he has the movie. So I dragged my mum out of the house. She didn't censor anything. So she'd just be like, what are you watching? Like she'd just hear like whatever nonsense. Um, but yeah, that was that was it. And I think we were talking about it um, before we started recording, but it was, you know, if you wanted a movie, they only had, like, two copies of, like, a brand new movie that, you know, like yeah. Terminator or whatever. So you'd have to wait um, till they had, till you got it. Um, and then it wasn't until, like, whenever Blockbuster came that that whole thing changed and you could walk in and get, you know, whatever movie you wanted because they had, like, a massive display wall and, like, a billion copies instead of, like, that one movie. Yep. Yeah. Oh, Lauren, before you go, I just I just had a memory pop into my head that will further show my age. Um, <laughs> I, I remember going to the video store and like there'd be all the movies and stuff. Just just what Jazz was saying, and they'd have like one or two copies of things that you wanted to see and like new stuff too. And I'd be all like, oh man. The VHS is checked out. They only have the beta. 
And they almost always had the betas and never the VHSs. We never had beta in the UK. <laughs> really? No. I don't think we did. Like, it was always VHS. Yeah. Yeah, no. We... We had them here, but we did. We had a VCR. We didn't have a Betamax player, so we couldn't get the ve- the betas. But yep. did you play the disc? No, we didn't do that. <laughs> Actually, I think my dad might have had one at one point, but that was very short lived. I remember my high school had Laserdisc. <laughs> oh <So>. man, <laughs> <laughs> Lauren, what about you? What are your memories of the video store? Uh, well, where so where I grew up, I grew up in a, a fairly small town in upstate New York, but we um. We had one little video store that was actually in the center of town. It's called Hollywood Video. (laughs) No, it was actually called Video. B I D D Y O. Uh, Video. And and but for whatever reason, my parents never shopped there. We actually we did have a blockbuster fairly early. Like my my strongest memories are going to places like Blockbuster. Um, But we also had a place called Video to Roll. Uh, which was was in it was like basically in the next town over. Both of these, both the blockbuster and this was in were in the next town over. Um, but I mean, I remember some some of the similar things. Um, my my family also was very into classic films, and so my parents were me being a a young child. My parents were always looking for films that they thought I would like that was that would sort of expose me to more of the classics. So we watched a lot of Marx Brothers and Abbott and Costello films and I remember seeing um Buster Keaton's The General and being really bored by part of it and then like and then he like crosses the ravine and the train <laughs> almost falls in and that was exciting. Uh <laughs> but so so but after a while... But you you got to see all of the movies ever made, though, right? Because you're at the video <laughs> store? Well, and that's... Yeah, that's the other thing. So <laughs> after a while, I had seen all of the Marx Brothers movies that, that they had. I'd seen all the Abbott Costello movies that they had. There wasn't a huge classics selection. Um, you know, when we would rent whatever the new films were that came out, you know, age-appropriate and stuff like that, my parents weren't terribly concerned about um, about ratings. They were more concerned about the actual content of the film, and they didn't want me to see, like, really, really violent films or anything like that, so I wasn't allowed to see that kind of thing. But um, they weren't terribly worried about sex. They were okay with, with you know, sex and nudity is, like, not a big deal. Violence, not so much, which I think is a healthy perspective. That's me. Uh <laughs> Um, for at least for a small child, but um, but yeah, I mean, one of the things I wanted to talk about in talking about video stores here was is the fact that I rem- I liked going to the video store. It was like a, a Friday ritual, basically, and I think that that's where some of this nostalgia comes back to. Um, is you know, my parents would pick me up from school, and we would go to the video store, and we would find like we would always rent a couple of movies so that, cause we would have three day rentals and we could rent a couple of movies and watch one that night and then watch one tomorrow. Uh, and then we would go to like the, one of our local pizza places and play pool while they, while they made our pizza and we'd take the pizza home and watch the movie. And so there was this whole like ritualistic thing to it. And it was a lot of fun. That being said, like, I, I remember, particularly as I got older, and wanting to see all of these films that I knew about. Like, I knew about um, a bunch of Alfred Hitchcock's films, and I knew about the other Marx Brothers movies. I knew about movies like Touch of Evil and uh, and other Orson Welles films. But, of course, the only Orson Welles film that my local video store had was uh, Citizen Kane. <laughs> so... 
there was a whole bunch of films. I was like, I knew that they existed. And the really the only way that I was going to get to see them was if I went and bought them. Right. Uh, or unless we like scoured libraries and stuff like that, looking for films that were just slightly more obscure. And by obscure, I mean, like, instead of Marx Brothers, A Night at the Opera, Marx Brothers, A Day at the Races. <laughs> right. It was, it's that kind of thing, which is not an obscure film at all. If you if you know classic film. Um, but yeah, because I grew up in a small town and there were a lot of things that just were not in demand or or anything like that. And so you were really limited by what the local video store thought they were going to be able to sell and what they kept. And. And I think that that's one of the issues that I always have when people begin waxing kind of eloquent about video stores. It's just like, oh, video stores were wonderful and there was so much that was available. It's like, actually, there was a lot less that was available. Like, mm-hmm. I've gotten to see a lot of films that I never would have been able to see as a teenager because because they just there wouldn't have been there. There wouldn't have been any way to get them. Uh so, uh, yeah, I'm, I, I always question it. Just like, where did you actually grow up? Because maybe if you grew up in a big city or in a metropolitan area, you were more likely to be able to have access to some of those films, to some of those more, quote, obscure films. But if you grew up in rural America or in small-town suburbia or someplace like that, you probably didn't. But even in the bigger cities, though, there were limitations. I mean, they're limited by space, for one thing. They couldn't keep everything on the shelf. And when you're talking about streaming services like Criterion or Canopy or Netflix, they have you know, way more shelf space than any video store could have ever imagined. Right. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, it's plus it, it's interesting. I think one of the things that makes the video store experience, at least when you had those really, the, the small, like privately owned independent book, um, video stores, I think what, what makes those experiences feel, uh, special or at least make them memorable is the fact that you tended to have the people working there were very passionate about film. And, uh, usually this is like before blockbuster came along cause blockbuster, they saw all the new stuff. They didn't necessarily care about the older stuff, but, but I remember video city. I mean, the guy that ran that, he knew every movie that they had on their shelves and he, he was one of those people that you could say what you were in the mood for and he would say, oh, you should try watching this or that, you know? And, and I think a lot of people have had experiences like that, which is part of why it seems like, oh, the video stores were great because they could always tell you something that uh, introduced you to something or, or fit your mood or, or whatever that now it's like mostly you're looking at just a list of titles and you don't know what is going to work for you or not. So it's, it's a different experience, but I think as far as availability, nothing in that we have ever had will ever beat the streaming experience. Yeah. And I think when, I don't know what it was like here with Blockbuster, but I agree with what you said, Karen, like when you'd walk into the like smaller stores, like they would be, he'd be like, you know, Alberto would say, what do you want this weekend? And I'd be like, I think I want a horror movie. And he introduced me to Evil Dead too. Like, it was him, and I remember that. Yeah. Um, and then when Blockbuster came along, it was kind of like the, they didn't, it just became very corporate, I guess. Like, mm-hmm. they weren't, you just had 
I don't know, a, an entire store of like just a kid in a candy store, just go find what you want, what, what appeals to you. And now, yeah, now it's like, you know, you open up Netflix or what's, you know, HBO Max and you've got this wealth of movies and, and it's just like the suggested, you know, maybe you, we suggest this, but it's like a hundred percent wrong. Cause it's like, that's not what I'm in the mood for. I just want, this is what I'm feeling today. This is what I want. Um, yeah. that'd be a good thing to put in like to mm-hmm. their next version of like you type in what you're in the mood for, like 70s or like black and white and see what it comes up with. Yeah, it could be really interesting. Um, I just thought of a funny, <laughs> funny thing that happened one time. Um, so when I was eight years old, I met Christine Truitt's slumber party and um it's so funny when you talk about names of people from, like, childhood, and it always sounds kind of like a made-up name, but, um, anyway, it was her slumber party, and she got a Watcher in the Woods for us to watch, and we were so freaked out watching this movie <laughs> that we had to turn it off and finish it in the daylight, because it was just so scary for us eight-year-olds. So for years, I was telling my family about this terrifying movie that we watched when I was eight, and I couldn't remember the name, and then finally one day someone was like, oh, I think that was a Watcher in the Woods. And so it's getting close to Halloween, and my mom and my brother and I, we had this thing, kind of like what you were talking about, Lauren, where every Friday we'd go to Blockbuster, we'd get whatever, and go get, like, pizza or Chinese food or something, and then go home and watch a movie. And so this one Friday, I was like, we should, I really want to watch a scary movie. Let's get a Watcher in the Woods. And so my mom and my brother were like, yeah, okay, sure, fine. So we get to the Blockbuster, and I go immediately to the horror section, and it's not there. And I'm like, well, that's weird. And then I look in the thrillers, and I'm like, huh, no, not here either. Like, it shouldn't be in drama, but I guess I'll look there. It wasn't there. I'm like, I can't believe they don't have this movie. So I go up to the counter, and I ask the guy, and he types in the computer, and he goes, oh, yeah, that's in the family favorite section. (laughs) And my brother just starts laughing at me so hard. (laughs) I was so embarrassed. But we rented it anyway. We went home, and you know what? It still freaked me out, so I stand by it. Well, I, I mean, I had, a, I had a similar experience to that when I remember my mother um, remembered seeing Darby O'Gill and the Little People <laughs> when she when she was a kid, right? And she went uh-huh. to the movie theater with her sister. Uh, and then this was, you know, the, talking talk about being dated. Uh, like literally, their parents dropped off these two little girls <laughs> at the movie theater, and they just left them there basically the entire day. Oh my day. gosh. Uh, and they and, and one of the films that they saw was Darby O'Gill and the Little People, and my mother was convinced. And what my mother had originally told my father and I was, this is a movie that is about a banshee that that like comes to take away to take away the dead people, right? And that's what she remembered. So if you've ever seen Darby O'Gill and the Little People, it is not about a banshee. It is about a a. an old drunkard in (laughs) Ireland who captures the king of the leprechauns Uh and, and, and like, and he has a daughter and there's, and Sean Connery is in it. And it's actually a really charming (laughs) film in a lot of ways. It's one of those early kind of Disney, um, 
Disney live action films. It's really interesting. Now, I will say that the Banshee, when the Banshee does show up, is terrifying. Like, it is a very good special effect, very frightening and everything. But the Banshee takes up literally maybe two minutes of screen time. Mm -hmm. So I remember watching this one being like, where's the Banshee? And my mom was like, oh, I guess that there was something else (laughs) other than the Banshees in this movie. That's, that's, that's great. <laughs> well, but it clearly made an impression on her, and that's, the, and that's the thing. Like, that's something that just stuck with her, and that became what that movie was about. <laughs> yeah, no, ex- exactly. I mean, I, you know, we were talking about Ghostbusters. I remember mm-hmm. for, some, for the longest time, I, I don't know how this happened in my brain, but I mashed up the two original Ghostbusters films, so Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters <laughs> 2, and I had it in my head for the longest time that there was a final fight between the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man and the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> <laughs> and and then I saw the, the original film again, like, and this, this was a while ago, and I was like, oh, why isn't he fighting the Statue of Liberty? <laughs> like, I thought that that... Doesn't that happen? And and it became clear, you know. That's brilliant. I personally oh, think yeah. that the next Ghostbusters film should include a fight between the State Puff Marshall Man and the Statue of Liberty. But that's me. That's the only way Jason Reitman can win back any of my goodwill. That's brilliant. That's a great plot idea. If they don't take it, then I don't know. Love it. So what are some of the films that make us feel nostalgic? We've thrown out a bunch of titles, but just when you think about the movies that are kind of just that, like, that warm blanket for you, maybe something you've revisited during quarantine, doesn't have to be, but what are some of those for you, Jess? Um, Chicago. I mean, it's, okay, so this is this goes back to, like, how far back does nostalgia go, right? Mm-hmm. Um Chicago I revisited because I was doing a podcast on that and it was just it's not that old but I really loved the joy that that film brought and I remember leaving work one day and there was the Chicago premiere and I happened to walk past just as Richard Gere was like signing stuff for people um And it's just seeing how that holds up, and it's brilliant. Um, Then we went back, and uh, Jen had never seen Heartburn. Oh, yeah. we watched Heartburn, and I haven't seen that. Like, usually I'll spend, like, I'll watch, like, every single Meryl Streep movie throughout a year, and I haven't been doing that since I've moved here. So I was like, let's just watch Heartburn. And it was was great. It's Nora Ephron, uh, Mike Nichols, and... Um, Jack Nicholson's in, in the movie, and it was. I like that one, yeah. It was great. I mean, big, massive, like shoulder pads, and it just made me. <laughs> I never saw that in the mo- in the cinema at all. I think I saw that like in the for the first time in nineteen, like no, two thousand and nine, and I hang my head in shame. But um, <laughs> and then I watched Roman Holiday, which nice. was great, um, and just. I don't know. It just made me think of tra- it just made me think of traveling and you know, back in the day when we could get on a plane and yeah. So I've been all over the place yeah. with like what I've been watching. Awesome. How about you, Lauren? Uh okay, two very different films that come that come to mind for this. I mean beyond like, you know, the, the movies that you watch when you're a kid and stuff like that that I think always have that sort of 
pantina of, of nostalgia over them. Um, one of them for me is Wayne's World. Yes. I just rewatched that recently. I need to rewatch it. I haven't rewatched it recently, but Wayne's World was one of my favorite films ever. Like, I don't know why, because three quarters of the film I did not understand when I first saw it. <laughs> I was a kid, right? I and uh, and my parents actually finally had to explain to me that I was not allowed to repeat. <laughs> jokes in that I heard in Wayne's world because and so because at at one point I actually and this is again I was about seven years old maybe seven eight years old I actually repeated the joke if she were a president she'd be Abraham Lincoln in the middle of the grocery store and and I did not know what it meant I to me it was just a pun like it was just something that was funny Right. And and my mom was like, okay, <laughs> there's some things that you're, that you should not say in public. And, and that's one of them. So like, they had to like actually tell me this. I loved Wayne's world. Uh, one of the most wonderful experiences of my life is when I actually got older and rewatched Wayne's world and was like, Oh, that's what was funny. Okay. I get it. I get it now. Like, and it's still a very funny movie and everything, but it's, it's one of those films that I just, I adore and I still adore. It's still a very funny film, but it it has that like childhood, you know, I just was really, really into this, um, film. So that, that's one. The other one is a film that I've talked about numerous times on this podcast, uh, Psycho. Yeah. And and one of the reasons for Psycho uh, is that I was actually, I was a little bit older um, when I finally watched it, and I had been watching Hitchcock films, so I had watched things like Notorious and Suspicion and things like that. Um, and I, I, re- I have a very vivid memory of watching Psycho for the first time in my parents' room, because we never had a television in the living room, we always had it in the bedrooms, and so... The, our main television was in my parents' room. And so I remember watching Psycho in the middle of the day in my parents' room and just being so fascinated and so exhilarated by it. And that, and it still kind of affects me that way. Even though I've watched it numerous times, I know that film. I know every, you know, cut and image and everything. Like, I've worked on it. I've, I've written about it, all of that. There's just still something in these moments in Psycho where I'm just like, yes, this this is the perfect film. This is, um, it's still one of my favorite films, and it still just like recalls to me that kind of initial sense of like, oh my god, this is something that's really really special, and and that that is like that has never really gone away when it comes to Psycho. So those are my two very different films, <laughs> uh, but ones I have very strong feeling about. My dad has never seen Psycho because the score freaks him out. He started watching it and he just couldn't handle it. <laughs> and I've tried so many times and he's just like, nope, nope, not going to do it. <laughs> but I still have a fear of shower curtains no matter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Every time- yeah. I won't face the wall in a shower. Like I have to face, even if there's a curtain and I can't see out, I have to face the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> it's like... Oh my gosh, how that film just ruined shout- the showering process. <laughs> so true. That and arachnophobia combined. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Like, forget it. Yep. The oh man. Of nostalgia. Yep. <laughs> well, a couple of mine. 
Um, one of my all-time favorite movies is The Sound of Music, and my mom and I used to watch it so many times when I was a kid, and, and we would sing along, and uh, every year at the Hollywood Bowl, not this year, obviously, but every year at the Hollywood Bowl, they do a sing-along, and I've always wanted to go, and I've never gone, but I just love that movie so much, and I love... I love Julie Andrews, and I was devastated when I found out Christopher Plummer didn't do his own singing. <laughs> and, um, I just love that movie so much. Um, yeah. And then another one of mine. I mean, I can't have an entire nostalgia episode go by and not mention Tom Cruise. <laughs> um, but I really, I mean, I've told this story before, but my dad, um, my brother and I, he took us to the the Point Magoo Air Show in 1986, and after it was over, we went and saw Top Gun in the theater, and that was, that was when I first fell in love with Mr. Cruz, but um, also I just love that movie, and even, I mean, you can't separate him from it, but just as a movie, that's one that I just have always really loved. I think it and we talked about this on our patriotic episode too, but um, it just really captured kind of where we were as a country in 1986 and how like go America we were. And, and there, as an adult now, there's this part of me that just really misses that, <laughs> that feeling that we used to have, even though I understand all the problems with it now and, and the ways that things weren't as perfect and glossy as I thought they were when I was nine. But it's like it, it makes me long for this time when the world seemed a lot simpler. It was easy to know who the bad guys were because they were wearing the dark face masks and you couldn't see them. So. <laughs> 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 so. Now we're all wearing them. But anyway, um, <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, those are a couple of mine. I have so many. Like I said, every yeah. major and even not major movie from... Probably from 1976 on, I've I've seen and loved and and it's it's so funny to talk to people now who are like, man, I wish I'd gotten to see this movie when it first came out. I'm like, oh, I was there opening weekend, you know. And, <laughs> <laughs> like, it makes me feel old, but it also makes me feel like, yeah, I, I did get to live through some exciting times. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. Any other runs you want to throw out there? Mm-hmm. Anybody? <laughs> I was trying to think. I'm, I'm I don't of... know why the movie Splash is running through my head. That was another one we used to watch all the time when we were kids. We were kind of limited because we didn't... Because when I was young, it was too cost prohibitive to actually own movies. You had to just rent everything. Unless your dad had a boss who had an extra VCR that he could borrow and he would, you know, make copies of them. (laughs) The statute of limitations, I think, has run out. So, yes, my dad bootlegged copies of certain movies. And so then our what we could watch was kind of just whatever he was able to to copy. So that was why we saw Star Wars a million times. I actually still have the tape my dad made that has Star Wars and... Um, like an Ewok special, and I think also Raiders of the Lost Ark, and Superman 2. <laughs> oh, have you seen Superman 3? 
Yeah, oh yeah, I've seen them all. <laughs> I saw Superman one, four, 4 too. <laughs> I think so the BB well like I love know, Superman 3. I love that like mm-hmm. a lot. Um yeah. yeah, we always had Superman 3 on. See, I had a TV in my bedroom and that was dangerous. Cause, <laughs> you know, you'd stumble across something like at the Exorcist, and it's like, why am I watching this at like ten o'clock at night time? I've got to go to school. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to sleep. And my mum would like deliberately lock her door because she's like, whatever you watch, if you're getting nightmares, you are not coming. <laughs> <laughs> that's on you. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Oh, the joys of watching Splash to Splash as well. Um, Yep. Have you seen the Disney Plus version where they've, like, CGI'd her butt? I only saw your pictures of it. <laughs> I haven't watched it. They totally... Oh, my gosh. So, like, talking about having to watch, like, old films, I was like, okay, <laughs> let me see what this whole thing is is about. And rather than just watch the scenes, I revisited Splash, and it's still brilliant. <laughs> um, but I was so disappointed to just see, like... Daryl Hannah's butt. So silly. Everybody has a butt. They're not like. Yeah. What's that gonna do to like? Sure, if I show this to like a six-year-old, they're not gonna be like, oh, butt. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it still holds up, by the way, Karen. So. Cool. I will watch it. Speaking, Lauren. Speaking of randomly saying inappropriate things in public, I remember the yeah. time that my brother. I mean, we were like seven and eight or something when that came out I don't remember but my brother we were in a store and he just yells out Bocce Ball <laughs> see you gotta be careful with little kids like cause they will it's hear true. things and, they, and it's, just, it's just it's they just repeat them because they like the way that it sounds you know? yeah yeah Certain words, it, like, they feel the, the way that you form them with your mouth, it feels fun, and yeah. you just keep saying it over and over again. Like, oh, this is fun. Uh, speaking of, I, I have one more nostalgia film, because we recently rewatched this, because my roommate had never seen um, Bedknobs and Broomsticks. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, and that was one I, you know, talking about pirating, <laughs> pirating VHS tapes <laughs> and things like that. I, I did not have cable when I was a kid, because, no, my, either. because my parents... We had a winter storm, <laughs> and and um, the the cable went out. And my parents later informed me that because the cable had gone out, there was no way we could ever get it back. And and Whoa. the cable was just gone. <laughs> like, okay. So my grandmother, who's a good grandmother and very much took pity on me and not having access to television. Used to like record things off of the television, just send me like these six hour long VHS tapes. They would just have all kinds of cartoon shows and movies and everything. And one of the things that she sent me was uh, a tape that had like a whole bunch of cartoons, Mary Poppins and Bedknobs and Broomsticks. And so I would often watch like Mary Poppins and Bedknobs and Broomsticks back to back. And it was another one of those times where the films sometimes became mashed up. And I was like, oh, these, this is the same <laughs> film about witches and right. magical nannies and stuff like that. But I, I love, I actually love Bedknobs and Broomsticks in some ways more than Mary Poppins. Mm-hmm. And, and so we watched it not that long ago because uh, my roommate had never seen it. And it, it was, it is a fun film and it actually has some fantastic animation, live action integration that is just quite surprisingly like well done. 
uh, and I, I just, yeah. And then plus you get like Angela Lansbury as a witch leading like a bunch of armor against the Nazis who are trying to invade <laughs> England. And it's just fantastic. <laughs> I don't know, like, I'm all of a sudden all these memories are popping into my head as we're talking about this, but I just remembered in, um, when I was in fifth grade, um, my mom, my parents were divorced by then, my mom had to work full time, so my brother and I would go to a sitter after school, and, um, she had, she had some kids of her own, she had a couple of other kids from the neighborhood that she would watch too. And we were all around the same age. And she would sometimes, like, get us movies to watch or whatever. And I remember everyone had been talking about Labyrinth. And she thought she thought she got Labyrinth, but she got Legend, <laughs> which is not Labyrinth. <laughs> but also I didn't mind. And um, <laughs> so for years, I thought Legend was Labyrinth. <laughs> And I was very confused one time when people started talking about the Muppets, and I was like, that's not, what are you talking about? That's not in Legend. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it was very confusing times for me. And when I eventually saw Labyrinth, I was like, this is not what I thought yeah. it was. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Oh, fun times. Well, we would love to know from all of you, our listeners, what are some of the films that make you feel nostalgic and and uh, why? You don't have to say why, but we like to know why because we're curious. We have intellectual curiosity. Unlike some people. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, but we would like to thank everyone for listening, and we especially want to shout out and give thanks to our patrons who help keep this show running. Um, they are Heather, Adriana, The Crooked Table Podcast, Michael, Jacob, James, Katie, Cariata, Mason, Matthew, Michelle, Monty, Nanina, Nicole, Robert, Sharon, Steve, Tao, and Will. Thank you all so much. You are awesome. And if you would also like to be a contributor to the show, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash citizendame. And for as little as a dollar, you can help us keep things running. For three bucks, you get early access to the show and some other fun things. And uh, we do have some bonus content there now, and there will be some more coming uh, very soon, too. Um, we also have our Zazzle store, zazzle.com slash citizendamepod, where you can get all kinds of fun swag, t-shirts and coffee mugs and face masks, because, you know, wear your fucking mask, people. And um, we also have our Ko-Fi account, which is ko-fi.com slash citizendame. So if you just want to kick us a couple of dollars, every bit helps and we appreciate it. We also understand these are hard times, so don't feel obligated in any way, please. Um, you can reach out to us if you have stuff to say. Um, only good things, though. We don't want to hear bad stuff, because so. these are happy times. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at CitizenDamePod. Occasionally we're on Facebook, too, facebook.com slash CitizenDame. You can find us on our official website, which is citizendamepod.com, and there's going to be something very exciting that I'm going to be writing about there soon that I haven't even told Lauren yet. But um, <laughs> And then you can also send us an email, citizendamepod at gmail.com. So uh, if you'd like to reach out to us individually, Jazz, 
Thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find you and read your work and, and all that? Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me. And after this, I'm going to listen to like the Top Gun soundtrack because, you know, eight <laughs> nostalgia. And like, um, anyway, so um, you can find me on Twitter at JazzT um, and Instagram at JazzT21. And both all link to my work at Variety. So awesome. that's me. Thank you. And Lauren, where are you? I am on Twitter and Instagram at LH Business. And I am on Twitter and Instagram at Karen M. Peterson. So that's going to finish things up for this week. And thank you so much for listening. Bye. Can you hold a sign? You know it. Want 50 bucks? Woohoo! Do you care who the next president is? No. Come with me. I'm right behind him. Not supposed to stare at it directly, but I can't help it. If I touch it, will it heal my baldness? It's a gravity-defying comb-over. I can't believe that this was once on his ass. It's as blonde as a golden marmoset, yet also gray as a long-dead donkey. I'm so jealous of all those booby women he's married. If he paid less than a million dollars for it, it's a steal. Ah! I am officially running. No! No! Don't take me out of the ginger the forest! Of no! The <laughs> yeah. At least I'll always have this. Oh.